You are listening to the Staff Study Podcast, a ministry of Bible Baptist Church in Mount Oreb, Ohio. We hope this podcast will encourage you to study the Word of God and to grow in Christ. Welcome to the Staff Study Podcast. We want to thank you for tuning in. We want to remind you to like, share, comment, subscribe, review, all those things on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on so that we can reach more people for the cause of Christ. We have got a full studio here today. Myself, Rob Moore, we got Dominic Illingworth, and we got Jason Jordan, uh, fresh back from a trip to Cuba. And uh, we are glad to have him back here, and we are going to get started in on Romans chapter 10. If you remember last time we finished um, our study on chapter 9, I think Dominic's got something to get us started with. In the last episode, uh, we were in Romans. We did finish chapter 9, and if you remember, we were talking about um, God's uh, sovereignty in that episode and um, our free will, and um, in this chapter... Uh, he really turns, uh, focusing even more on our responsibility um, of, of for what we need to do in this present age concerning salvation. And um, the focus, we got to remember, is still on Israel. So we mentioned a couple episodes ago when we started chapter 9 that we are in this um, little center, uh, center section of Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Paul is focusing specifically on Israel, and um, chapter 9, primarily, uh, for the most part, we saw God's uh, past dealings with Israel, and then uh, here in chapter 10 is going to be primarily um, on God's present dealings with Israel, um, and then when we get to chapter 11, as we've said, it'll it'll be more looking at God's future uh, plans and what uh, Israel will will um, will be like in the dealings of God in the future. Um, so in chapter ten, um, he starts uh, by saying, Paul starts by saying, "Brethren," and um, he says, "Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved." And so that takes us back to chapter nine where he said in chapter 9, verse 3, when we looked at that, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So it's interesting here, I think just starting off, we need to recognize um, he called his brethren Israel, uh, his kinsmen according to the flesh, in chapter 9. But here he's talking to a different group of brethren. He's mm-hmm. talking to the saved people of the church that he's writing to. So there is a distinction, as we've mentioned before, and we want to just make sure you get that in your head again. You gotta, we got to realize the distinctions of people in the Bible. And so it's clear that there is a distinction between Israel when Paul's talking about them as his brethren versus Israel as the saved people in the church that Paul is talking to. And it goes back to his heart here. He says, um, his desire, his heart's desire and prayer for Israel, um, his brethren according to the flesh, um, that they might be saved. Paul wants Israel to be saved. It's amazing that that was his prayer because, you know, when you just consider logically, the nation of Israel is probably the most religious 
nation in the world. When you consider like what they're doing with as far as their ceremonial practices, you know, just through the course and the history of their nation, you know, God, God gave them the law and they carried out and they had all the prophets. I mean, they're a very religious, um, a very religious nation. And so, but he makes it very clear that his desire is that even though they were very religious and they had the law of God, that their his desire is still that they would be saved. That there's a difference between being religious mm. versus being saved. Yeah, yeah. And you know, these this is a parenthetical passage. We understand that, and, and we advocate for that. That is, it is parenthetical. Some would um, try to fault us even because we'll take some verses as we get later in the chapter, not to get the cart in front of the horse, but we'll take some verses and apply them for all. What we have to remember is when we're looking at this, the plan of salvation is the same. Even though this is dealing with Israel, their plan of salvation is the same as for the Gentile. And we see that, uh, we've studied this already, back in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, it says, What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. And then verse 10, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Then, if you jump across the, in my Bible, it's just across the page to verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Mm -hmm. When dealing with salvation, there is a difference between a Jew and Gentile in a worldly sense. There is. But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the, the theological term would be soteriology, the, the doctrine of salvation, there's no difference in the Jew and the Gentile. So we'll apply some of this to the Gentile, and people say, well, you know, as a dispensationalist, you say that that's parenthetical. It is, but what we're saying is that the, um, the plan of salvation hasn't changed. And the whole point is, is he's dealing with Israel nationally at their present stage is unbelief nationally. And so within that, he points out to them what they need to do for personal salvation right now. And then says, by the way, the Gentiles and everyone also needs to has this responsibility um, to be saved. So he, he presents the gospel while he's addressing um, Israel specifically, he presents the gospel to uh, that is the responsibility of all mankind to to acknowledge right. and receive. Each, each so, person has to make their own individual decision. And it's interesting. Jason brought up about their the the uh, religion, the religious um, the religious strength that Israel had and and even still has, but. This is what Paul's saying is verse two. He says, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. This is kind of what Jason was was hitting on a second ago for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto 
the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So they had their own uh, righteousness they were trying to 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 build up and perform uh, through the law, but they hadn't submitted themselves. They and that's what Jason was talking about that re- all those religious rites and ceremonies, and they had that. But that's not the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is Christ, which is and is also going to be called the righteousness, which is a faith here in a moment. And that's where they were falling short. They had religion. They didn't have salvation. Yeah, it's like they they seen the law, but they couldn't see the person or the Messiah that they're looking for that the, the law describes. Mm-hmm. You know, and what is the verse that says that the law is a schoolmaster that brings us to mm-hmm. salvation? Is that Galatians? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they were performing all the religious actions and carrying out all the ceremonial practices but they couldn't see the Savior right in front of their face when he was here on earth. And so, you know, that's an issue of faith. And so we know that that's the danger of the law is that the law is never meant to bring salvation. And I think it was um, when I was reading him, Warren Wearsby, he said like this, that the law is nothing more than like a directional sign. It just points to salvation. The law can't make you Mm -hmm. perfect. It just brings you to the person who can bring you salvation. I've I've heard this this illustration. I don't know who it originates with. I've heard uh, multiple people use it. Um, I think you could base it very easily in the book of James when it talks about a man looking into a glass. But the law is like a mirror for you to examine yourself. And the only conclusion that you can come to is that you fall short because nobody has upheld every point of the law. There, there isn't one outside of Jesus Christ that has upheld every point of the law. So if the law is a mirror, if you look in a mirror and you have something stuck in your teeth, do you pick the mirror up off the wall and try to pick your teeth with the mirror? You can't get clean with the mirror. Don't answer that question if you've tried to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you have tried that, actually, video it, send it to us. We would love to see this. But no, you don't use the mirror to clean your teeth, but it shows you that there's a need to clean your teeth. And and so you have something stuck in your teeth. The the law shows you that you're dirty. Mm -hmm. You have not upheld the law. It's a mirror to examine ourselves, but the only way to get clean is through Jesus Christ. And I've seen this too, that, you know, the contrasting difference between the law and being saved by faith is that when, by keeping of the law, that produces pride, mm-hmm. you know, that you're mm-hmm. able to keep it. But the gospel, um, you know, being saved through faith, by grace through faith, that brings humility because you realize the center that you are and you realize that your need for salvation and your, your need for Jesus Christ, and that brings humility. Yeah, and that's what verse 3 is getting at when it says, uh, going about to establish their own righteousness. Um, Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is this filthy rags. Mm-hmm. We don't have any righteousness. The most righteous thing I ever did on my own is filthy. And so the, that word righteousness is used three times in that verse. But the first one and the last one are speaking of God's righteousness. Mm-hmm. That middle one 
that's a feigned fake righteousness because we don't have any to speak of. Right. That righteousness of God, as we mentioned, is it's the righteousness of Christ that he fulfilled for us. And it's the righteousness, which is of faith, which we'll get into in just a minute in these next verses. I want to read you all this um, quote I found from Matthew Henry. This is this is a this is a great quote. I think you'll enjoy this. In talking about this, he said, um, "Christ has fulfilled the whole law. Therefore, ever, therefore, whoever believeth in him is counted just before God, as much as though he had fulfilled the whole law himself." Sinners never could go on in vain fancies of their own righteousness if they knew the justice of God as a governor or His righteousness as a savior. Mm. Good quote by Matthew Henry. So the the faith is that Christ has fulfilled the law for you. And if you, how could you go on and trying to establish your own righteousness if you if you realized and submitted to what Christ has done? Mm. It just so far goes beyond it. It's it's not even comprehensible. And so before we move on, I think it is important to note because um, there are a lot of disagreements in these chapters and passages. And the distinction between Israel and uh, and uh, Christians in the church today, and all that, and God's future dealings with Israel. But I just think it's important to note that here it is clear that Paul is showing a difference between the Christians he's writing to versus Israel, and his prayer is that Israel might be saved, which means that Israel can be saved. So. So some will tell you that God does not have future plans and dealings with Israel, and um, and we have uh, replaced Israel in 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 this time. But in the church age here, Paul's writing to Christians, and he's still telling them, "It's my prayer that Israel will be saved." And then he'll go on later, and we'll see that he talks about the future purposes that God has for Israel. So if he's saying all that, then that would only stand to reason that. Israel is savable. <laughs> yeah, just like read any of the prophets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the book of Revelation. <laughs> and so going on further and um and back to kind of that discussion of of trying to do your own works of righteousness of the law versus the righteousness of Christ of faith, he says in verse 5 here, uh for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall uh, live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thy heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? It is the righteousness of faith that speaks. What does the righteousness of faith say in verse 8? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. The word of faith which we preach, here it is. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the righteousness of the law quoting from back there in Moses in Leviticus, says to do. The man that does these things shall live in them. But the righteousness which is of faith says, confess with thy mouth, believe in thy heart, thou shalt be saved. Right. And 
So we do believe, like we, we've stressed this over and over again, this was written to Israel, this this portion, this parenthetical dealing with Israel. But um, verse 11, it says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Then in verse 12, right here it is, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And one of the most famous verses, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So sometimes, like I said earlier, we'll receive a little criticism. Will you take these verses that you say are for Israel and you apply them? Well, right here it tells us it's because you have to remember, Romans was written way after uh, the events of Acts chapter 10, where the gospel went to Cornelius. It went to the Gentile. And he's saying, look, the Gentiles are getting saved. And the gospel is spreading. Paul has been on these missionary trips, and the gospel is spreading amongst the Gentile world. And he's saying there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's saying, look, Israel can be saved too. It's available. And so, yeah, it's the same plan of salvation for Israel and for the Gentile. It's the same plan. What is it about our human nature? This is for Israel and I think it's for us too. We see it when we soul in and out in the public that we try to overcomplicate the gospel. Oh, yeah. We can't just accept it that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that you can be saved by yeah. confessing your sin and believing in his work on the cross. Mm-hmm. You know, that's exactly what Israel was doing, is that they were forsaking faith and clinging to the keeping of the law. Yeah. And I think that that's part of what the Apostle Paul's getting at back, not to backtrack, but just looking back really quick here, where it says in verse 6, 7, and 8 there, it talks about um, who shall ascend into heaven... That is to bring uh, Christ down from above, mm-hmm. or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And then it goes on with the verses of salvation. I think what he was getting at is that we're overcomplicating it, mm-hmm. and Christ is right here. Yes, mm-hmm. you're just putting your faith and trust in yeah. Him. Don't overcomplicate it with all these other things that are not going to save you. He's done the work. Accept yeah. that. Submit, like he said there in verse 3. And it is it is interesting. We have to remember, um, as Rob pointed out just a second ago, yes, these are dealing, the topic is Israel. But who is Paul writing to in the book of Romans? Right. To the church at Rome, Christians. So within his letter to Christians, he is addressing the past, present, and future of Israel distinctly. And at the same time, reminding them, like Jason said, it's not of your works, your personal salvation. Yeah. And it's not of their works as far as Israel is concerned when it comes to their need for personal salvation in this age. It is of Christ that he fulfilled the law, and you have to be saved by grace through faith in him alone. So it all all fits perfectly when you you, uh, rightly, rightly divide all that. 
And I, I think to answer Jason's question about why we overcomplicate it, I think it could be as simple as this. If Now, this isn't the case. Let me be really clear. I don't have it to give away. But if I had a million dollars to give away, and I put a sign up in the front parking lot of the church, there would be people that would stop, no doubt, but they'd say, what's the catch? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I'm just giving it away. What do I have to do for it? No, 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 I'm just giving it away. What do I have to do to earn that? How do I get a chance to win it? No, no, I'm just giving it away. People would have such a hard time understanding why would you give a million dollars away? Well, eternal life is worth an infinite amount of times more than a million dollars. And it's free. It's a gift. And people just have a hard time with that. But in the same sense, most people don't have a hard time understanding the concept of a gift with their children. You know, I give my kids things, and I don't expect anything in return. Um, I love them, and I just want them to have things. And my parents did the same thing for me, and we can understand that. So if we get saved, we're a child of God, why wouldn't he give us eternal life? Mm-hmm. Um, he would want to give it to us, but we have a we just have a hard, hard time um, just wrapping our heads around the fact that something so valuable is free, especially in a consumer-based society, which we live in here in America. I mean, nothing is free. You know, the old adage, nothing is free. There's a catch to something. You know, we look at even, you know, to to put this um, kind of in your mind, Facebook, it's free to us, but it's not free. They're making money off of ads on Facebook. That's why when you scroll through, you see, a million ads on Facebook. Um, they are making money. It's not free. There, there's a money-making aspect mm-hmm. to that. Salvation is free. We just have a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem is we we so often forget in, in, in saying and encouraging people to understand that it is free because it is. Don't get me wrong. It is free. But a great price was paid. For that, and we forget that often, it's free to us because of the great price that was purchased, Christ's own blood on the cross. And I think that's back to that quote of Matthew Henry. If we could fully understand the greatness of that purchase that Christ made on the cross with his blood, we would quit grabbling and, and trying with our own righteousness of works that we're trying to do. Um, and so it's, it's, it is a free, a completely free gift offered. Salvation is today because the, that great price was, was already paid in full, completed. It's, it's a done transaction. And, um, and you have to accept that by faith. It takes us back to the end of chapter nine when we're talking about Israel specifically. And that was their problem. And that's why Paul is pleading with them, um, as well as uh, extending to everybody else, the Jew and the the uh, Greek, but pleading for Israel specifically here, they they didn't seek it by faith, is what the end of chapter nine told us, if you remember. And because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, they stumbled. And that's the issue: is this this deal of ordeal of salvation, this free gift that Christ paid the price for? You have to believe that in your heart and accept it by faith, without sight, yeah. 
You have to accept it, believing and trusting uh, simply by faith. Yeah, and, you know, so he lays this out for us. Here's the point of salvation in a nutshell, right? And then he says, but how? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? They can't call on somebody who who they haven't believed in. So sometimes we'll get we'll get accused of some kind of easy believism. But hold on now. They can't just call on the name of the Lord. They can't just say, oh, Jesus, save me. That doesn't do it. Because it says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So they have to know about Jesus. They don't have to know every aspect of his life. But they have to know about his death, burial, and resurrection. They have to know that he fulfilled the law. They have to realize they're a sinner, those things, right? How then shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And I love that that ends in an exclamation point. (laughs) You know, we have to preach the gospel. How in the world, you have to put it in context, he's speaking still about Israel. How could Israel get saved? except someone preaches to Israel. Mm -hmm. And one thing I I would like to point out, and Rob just touched on it a second ago, um, especially with that verse 14 there, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And he had mentioned there, you know, sometimes um, uh, people get attacked or judged for um, using the the quote-unquote sinner's prayer and and leading people in a prayer to get saved. but I think there's some misconceptions on that a lot of times. Um, I'm not saying there's not people that just have somebody repeat a prayer and they don't even know what they're praying or what they mean and they do it and say they're saved. I know that happens and that's wrong. As far as we're concerned, we use the sinner's prayer. We don't, we don't, I don't know of any other way to talk to God but to pray. How else are you going to call upon the name of the Lord but to pray to him? If you have a better way, <laughs> let us know. Prayer, that's prayer. So you have to pray to get saved. You have to call upon the name of the Lord to get saved. But it's not repeating vain words. Like right. this verse said, and like Rob hit on, you can't call on him if you haven't believed in him. You right. have to believe in your heart. And we stress that to people when they pray. Yes, you must pray. You must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But you have to believe in your heart and understand what you're doing. And so that's it's a balanced approach. And um, I understand there's extreme sides on both ends of that. But um, we um, we fully are, are of the opinion that that you you have to be aware and believe in your heart in Jesus Christ. And then you make that profession of faith and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved and that happens at a specific moment in someone's life yeah and like you said it is balanced because we also don't believe that you have to know everything about you know all the way from adam and eve up to sure the the resurrection you don't have to know all that when i got saved i didn't know a lot of those things and guess what there's still things that i'm learning Mm -hmm. and (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) but you know it's there's still things that i'm learning and i i Pray that I learn all the way until the Lord takes me home. Because if not, I'm 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 stuck, and I don't want to be stuck. I want to be growing. But 
that's the thing. There has to be some balance there. There are some yeah. things that you have to know. You have to know you're a sinner. Yeah. You have to know there's a punishment for sin. You have to know about the death, burial, and resurrection and that it was the payment for his sin. Yeah. And you have to know that you can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Other than that, those are the four things you need to know. Right, the gospel. And and so we can definitely be guilty of overcomplicating. And there, I think anytime you take anything to one extreme or the other, there's an oversimplification and there's an overcomplication, and we need to be balanced. In all of the Bible, the Bible is a balanced book, yeah. and we need to be balanced as well. Yeah, Really, that's what it all comes down to when you compare the day and age that we live in with the critics and everything that we deal with today with presenting the gospel versus dealing with what they were dealing with back here with the nation of Israel, you know, between Judaism and Christianity. Um, it, when you boil it all down to, it just comes down to, do you believe the gospel? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Are you going to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that you can be saved through faith? Or are you going to attach your salvation to some action or some um, form of obedience mm-hmm. that you're going to carry out? And that, I think that that's what he's getting at here in verse number 16. It says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah saith." this is referencing Isaiah 53. Um, Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, when it comes down to it, you have to believe in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. for salvation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That verse 17, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is a, such a wonderful verse. I've used that. Yeah. I'm sure you all have have ran into this situation. You're witnessing to somebody, and I've had this happen. It doesn't happen all the time, but I've had it happen several times. Where they'll say, "I I would love to believe that. I just don't." Mm-hmm. And I'll quote that verse to them. You know, the Bible says, "Faith come by hearing, and hearing by the word of God." Come to church, yeah. read your Bible, hear it preached, read the word. Faith come by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You want to bolster your faith. You say you'd like to believe that. Hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I see the truth, but I'm just not. Right. There's mm-hmm. there's some um some issue with that uh, submitting, like that's talked about up in verse three, back at the beginning there. Um, there's something just not willing to submit there in mm-hmm. their heart and mind, and um, something resisting. Um, in verse eighteen, he says, "But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily." Uh, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me, but to Israel he saith, All day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Um, kind of an interesting little section mm-hmm. here. Uh, I found this quote. J. Vernon McGee kind of sums this up and deciphers this very well. These few verses, he says, The Gentiles, though they were in darkness, were finding Christ. What excuse could Israel, who had the Old Testament scriptures, offer? Yeah, they are entirely without excuse. Is kind of how he summarizes that eighteen 
uh, through 21, which I think is a good little explanation there. Yeah, I mean, the book of Romans in earlier chapters, without looking back and quoting the verses, we know that God revealed himself through nature. And I believe it's Romans chapter 2 that talks about that, if I remember off the top of my head correctly. Um, he reveals himself through nature, and there is what we call general revelation. You can look at the way the world works. Mm-hmm. Um, Psalm 19.1 says uh, that the firmament showeth his handiwork. Mm-hmm. You know, just the fact that we have clouds that weigh tons. I mean, those things, if you could weigh a cloud, and there are people capable of doing that, we probably aren't sophisticated enough ourselves, but uh, I'll take their word for it. They're smarter than me. Clouds weigh tons, and they float in the air. I can take a bucket of water out there and throw it up in the air, and all I'm going to do is get wet because I can't make it stick. Um, General revelation. We look at the way that works, and we're like, wow, there has to be a God. Israel had so much more than that. They're left with no excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, even the world has no excuse because of general revelation. The Gentile had no excuse. But Israel, even so much more so, and we talked about that a lot in the earlier chapters of Romans, how with that knowledge came a real responsibility. You have to respond. Um, and that's what this chapter is dealing with. Like Dominic talked about in the introduction, Romans 9 was about God's sovereignty and our free will. Romans 10 is about the responsibility of the person to react. Mm-hmm. There must be a response. Um, we see it in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. He gives the gospel, and what did he do? He, he People said, what shall we do with this? People asked, what should we do? Would there was a response. And then we see as you get down into verses uh, 41 and 42, then they that gladly received his word, so then that accepted the gospel, were baptized, and that same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Mm-hmm. So the church grew because of their response to the gospel. They accepted the gospel, they got baptized, and the church grew. Mm-hmm. There's always a response because we have free will. God is sovereign. We talked about that. Spurgeon said, when asked, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and our free will? He said, you don't have to reconcile friends. God's sovereign. We have free will. Those aren't at odds with each other. They're friends. And because of that, we have a response that we're expected to make. And and I, that's such great points. And I, I, I hate to keep going back to this, but I kind of, I can't help it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's just the, the, we know, and, and, and some people listening that um, that are, are students of the Bible understand some of these different opinions and, and different theological positions. This is a major piece of the Bible where uh, our friends who are Reformed and think that the church has replaced Israel and that God does not have future dealings with Israel distinctly in the future, that, that we have taken all that over spiritually. This is uh, used uh, as a lot of times as proof text for them to prove that uh, the church has replaced Israel and God will not deal with them distinctly in the future. But notice what he says here in verse 19. Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, Mm -hmm. and by a foolish nation I will anger you. 
obviously the I will provoke you is is Israel to jealousy by them that are no people. And we'll get into this in chapter 11, but if you just look in chapter 11, verse 11, look at, look at this that pe- appears with this. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, and when you trace that back, it's talking about Israel, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Who was Moses talking about back there when he's being quoted in verse 19? He was looking ahead to the time when the gospel would be given to the Gentiles because Israel stumbled at that stumbling block. Mm-hmm. When the church was already started, or after the church was started, the gospel has went to the Gentiles. We are in this present church age, and guess what? The Gentiles in Israel, the church in Israel, are still distinct. Or else you have to read that to say that Israel is provoking themselves to jealousy, which makes no sense. There are two different there are, there are different people groups distinct in these verses. If that if that makes sense, yeah, it's just important to remember that. And just as an application or an illustration. Um, if you have children or you've ever been around one, I hope you've been around one, uh, you give a child a toy and, and they'll play with it when it's new, right? And then they put it down and they're kind of just tired of it. They don't play with it anymore. And then that child wants to have a friend over. And that friend comes over and that friend picks that toy up. What does your child do every time? <laughs> That's mine. Yeah. Give it back. Yes. Give it back. Yeah. And they haven't touched that thing in months. They don't play with that toy, but they want it because somebody else has it. So when he says that he's going to provoke them to jealousy, when the Israel had every opportunity to be as close to God as they wanted. I mean, they had more opportunity than anybody in the whole world, and yet they didn't. And then when the gospel goes to the Gentiles, it was in order to provoke them to jealousy to say, whoa, I want that. I want that relationship with God that the Gentiles are getting. And so I think of it like that kid with their toy. Yeah, It ought to make them want to have that relationship with God. So just in closing, um, you know, he brings a valid point here in verse number 17, just to go back to that verse in closing. It says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, our desire, just like the Apostle Paul's desire is that the nation of Israel would be saved, our desire here and focus for this podcast is that our listeners would be saved. <laughs> and so if you're here today and you, you're listening to this podcast and you've never uh, taken time to accept Christ as your Savior, why don't you consider for a minute what we have to say is that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, his reason for coming was that we would be reconciled in our relationship with God, that we could have a personal, intimate relationship through him with our um, Heavenly Father. And so if you're listening today, salvation is, you know, at your fingertips, so to speak. It's just simply coming to the understanding that you're a sinner and that you realize that because of your sin, that without a Savior, you would die and go to a devil's hell. But we're asking God to forgive us, and we're putting our faith and trust, uh, just like the Apostle Paul presents here, we're putting our faith and trust 
that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, that it's not by any works of righteousness or keeping of laws or ceremonial practices, anything like that, we realize and understand that Jesus Christ did all that, so we don't have to. He uh, performed all the work, and we're believing um, in what he did. We're asking him to forgive us. We're putting our faith that he died on the cross and that he resurrected from the grave. And the Bible says that if you would confess your, with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, the Bible says that thou shalt be saved. So whatever you're doing and wherever you're at today, if you're listening to us and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, why don't you just take time, bow your head and open your heart to God and just pray a prayer something like, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I realize and understand that because of my sin, I would die and go to a devil's hell. But I'm asking you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he resurrected. And I'm asking you to forgive me my sin. Come into my heart, save my soul, and help me to live for you. And if you would just pray a prayer um, like that and open your heart to God, the Bible says that when we call upon him, it says, for whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. And if you've done that today, we would love if you would reach out to us. If you haven't done that, but this podcast has been an encouragement to you, we'd still love for you to reach out to us. Staffstudypodcast at gmail.com is a way to get a hold of us. You can also message us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash staffstudypodcast. Or you can call us at the church office, 937 444 Two four nine three. Uh, if we're available, we'd love to speak to you. If not, you can leave a message and we will get back in touch with you. We would love some correspondence. Um, if you've accepted the Lord as your Savior today, we would love to send you some resources that could help you. Um, we would love to uh, be able to help you in any way that we can. So we want to encourage you again to like, share, comment, subscribe, and review. Help us to reach others for the cause of Christ. And until then, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Staff Study Podcast. It's our prayer that this has been an encouragement for you in your walk with the Lord. Please visit our website at www.bbcmtorab.org for more information on our church and associated ministries. It is our desire to encourage you to study God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth.